Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. All right, you freeloaders. There's two, uh, two, three super important things. I'm going to tell you about two of them. And then as a bonus, the eagle, the Latvian eagle, Giannis Putellis, is going to tell you about the third thing you can do for us. So this is a three for one. Um, as a total freeloader who doesn't pay for squat and just listens to this digital radio program with like no in of their own, no skin in the game of their own, a thing you can do to mitigate that, some of your guilt, for doing that is go on to the 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 sixty eight percent of you who are listening on iTunes. Go on to iTunes and give the Me Eater podcast a ripping five star review. It doesn't even really matter what you write; just go give it a five star review. So, like, do that right now and subscribe. Yeah, sub- yeah. Five-star review and subscribe. Just do it right now. I'm going to wait a second while you do it. So go click five. Okay. You you got it. Okay. Thank you. Um, If you listen, if you're part of the other percent, the 20-some or 30-some percent that listen on Stitcher, you do the same thing. That's thing one. Um, The second thing you need to do is, that was it though, right? Subscribe. Yeah. Yeah, subscribe. So that that was the easy one. Now the eagle is going to tell you uh, the, his little part of this this message. 
Mm. You go to the Meat Eater store, which is at themeateater.com, and look at some of the badass branded first light gear that we have in stock. Boku. Chama hoodies in camo and in solid patterns with the Cool Meter logo on them. There are brimmed beanies. What else was there? Hats, t-shirts, decals. Yeah, the new hats are nice. We have new um, Richardson 112s with a cipher, new First Light cipher camo on them with the Meteor logo in Ridge orange front been, and center. Ridge Pounder's been rocking one of those. Yeah, yeah. He, he looks great. You wear, do you wear it in Chicago when you're just kicking around town? All the time. All the time, he says. Yeah, but he's got that going for him, but he cannot cook squirrel and rabbit at all. That's it, right? That's it. Now for the program. Now, I know that listeners have grown accustomed to the impeccable sound quality of this year digital radio program and that's gonna be a little compromised because we're in a teepee tent in the rain and i know this has happened a handful of times throughout the history of this program um but you just have to bear with it so if you're hearing a a a gentle pitter patter punctuated by loud gusts of wind that is the weather of a fognac island which not many folks have heard of but a fognac is separated by a narrow channel remy what's that channel called you know? Uh, no, I don't, not between the islands. I'm not sure. I think just Fognac Strait or something. I, yeah, don't quote me on that. I don't know. Well, you're quoted. Yeah. Um, but well, well, yeah, I understand. Raspberry Strait, Fognac Strait, separated by a narrow channel from Kodiak Island. And Dirt here knows Kodiak as being an inferior brand of chew. Affordable? No, no, good. Kodiak's yeah. good or not good? Good. It's just, oh, Grizzly. It's premium. Grizzly, yeah. Yeah. Do you think Grizzly was trying to nose in on Kodiak's business because oh, yeah. Kodiak's known for big Grizzlies? Yeah. What's the chew you said is like a low-grade chew that you don't need to chew because you have a good job? Grizzly. That's what my pops chews. Not that he has a bad job, but but he's he's he's, he's more frugal. He's, he's better frugal. with his money, yeah. What uh what do you got packed in right now, Dirt? Skull, baby. Skull. He's high <laughs> <laughs> living. If anyone if anyone's followed the saga of Dirt uh trying to quit chew, you can see that uh, I was gonna say, no progress has been made on, on the quitting I don't think side. He's yet to try though, really. No, since well, we've no. known him. Well, yeah, because now he's hip to a, a homeopathic <laughs> thing he's taking, Lysing which counter. he feels is gonna <laughs> mitigate the damaging <laughs> effects of chew by taking a. What are you eating? Lysine and fresh air. Lysine is the the pill. So you take a pill to just to prolong how long you can chew because it's it's counteracting the the carcinogenic effects of your chew. Well, this is my own theory. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're riding the storm out, and you know, if anyone's familiar with the REO Speedwagon song "Riding the Storm Out," it has you know, it's like a real powerful song that gets everyone amped up, and it's like really um, dramatic. But in the song, what he's really he's like at some kind of cabin skiing. And he's just kind of saying, like, I'm not missing a thing. I'm riding the storm out. And it's really sort of like, you know, it's kind of blasé for as, as hard hitting of a tune hmm. riding the storm out is. And if he was a real skier, he'd be out there really. Well, no, it's just like you feel like he's being more metaphorical, right? Like you feel like when he's like, riding the storm out, you feel like, yeah. like it's metaphorical. You feel like he's in Miami 
during a hurricane. Yeah, or yeah, like, but, but if you listen carefully, he's just like, he's in Colorado, I think. Or, or even more metaphorical, like he's got like a love triangle going on and just yes. really messed up. Or he's going yeah. in, to, in to get a, um, he's going in to get a prostate exam, which I just had my first of recently. <laughs> so yeah, like going into that, when I had to like get on my elbows on the mat, I was, in my head was, right. you know, yeah. might have been, like I might have done better had I been thinking riding the storm out. But um, it's really like, if you listen to it, it's kind of more of a limp dicky song because he's just up like skiing and they get stuck in a cabin for the night. It's it's one of those songs that isn't as good. Um, now, a song that's better, th- this is just a quick diverge before we get back to what's going on in Fognac Island. Uh, the Bob Seger song, Night Moves. Do you know what that song's about? Yes. What, tell me what it's about. Well, only because I've, I've had a conversation with you while you don't, dissected it and told me about what, what it was about. Yeah. Night Moves is about senescence. It's about growing old. Where he, for a lot of the song, is reminiscing about being out with some gal behind, back behind the cornfield in the 50 Chevy, working on their night moves. So he's like, you know, perfecting uh, the, the art of lovemaking, I gather. And, but in the end of the song, there's like a postscript to the song. And in the end of the song, Uncle Bobby, Bob Seger, Chris knows what you're from Michigan. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uncle Bobby says, I woke last night to the sound of thunder. How far off I sat and wondered. So here he is. He's painting this picture of like someone waking up in the middle of the night, counting time, right? I started humming a song from 1962. Isn't it funny how the night moves when you don't, don't seem to have as much loose? He's a, it's, it's from the perspective, it's an old man waking up at night, coming to terms with his own death and thinking back on this thing that happened to him. That won't happen anymore. Sad song, yeah. man. True song. Isn't it funny how the night moves when you just don't seem to have that much to lose? And now here he is, you know. Maybe his prostate's gone. I don't know. Um, a Fognac Island. Remy, uh, break break it down for us. The island itself? Just, yeah, the whole spiel, the, the whole, whole picture. Yeah, so we're in a valley, but the mountains jet up pretty high. It's all, uh, most of it's volcanic activity is what all these mountains come out of the ocean from yeah, a lot of volcanoes yep. around here and uh 1200 feet to be exact I li- when we were up at top today on the ridge we were at 1200 yeah we're camped at 350 300. we're yeah. camped low well not that that's a matter of low enough but about like 100 yards from us we got uh silver salmon jumping oh yeah fresh out of the ocean clean salmon too being caught yeah they're pretty aggressive Remy actually caught one on his first, first cast. cast, which is a, a giant on his first cast. Yep. But anyways, there we are, Fognac Island. Yeah, and so there's uh, just a few different animals running around. Elk, Roosevelt elk, which were introduced. Then there's black-tailed deer, Sitka black-tailed deer. And then you've got the Kodiak brown bear, which is the king of the island. But it is... Uh, biggest brown bears in the world. Biggest brown bears in the world. Yeah, up to 1,200 pounds. So if you think about them, it's a bear that's about the weight of two standard Montana elk. 
or more. Yeah. That's a big bear. That's huge. But these elk are no these elk are no joke either in weight. They're about fourteen hundred pounds, I would say, somewhere in there. Some of the biggest bodied elk. Biggest bodied elk in the world. Yep, for sure. And I think it's just because there's this well, you've seen the grass. It's just head high, high protein grass, from what I've heard. Yeah, we're kind of in it's weird about this island is you're kind of in like a you're in a almost like a grassland environment. Yeah, you would think, but I mean, there's obviously, there's spruce forests, and then there's old growth forest on the other side, just this mountain behind us. Um, but this grass, is you just notice all the seed and everything on the top of it. And this morning I found some bear crap out back that was just full of grass seed. Yeah. So it's obviously a, a, a pretty rich food source and easy to gather for the elk and the, the deer and well, I don't know. I would imagine the deer do a little more browsing on some of the other plants. Yeah, I'm sure they eat a fair this. bit of yeah. young growth or grass and, growth coming uh, out. Yeah, everything grows larger here. Well, Garrett was calling it Kong Island. Everything is big. <laughs> yeah, and there's a thing like in, in, you know, we've talked about Bergman's rule or Bergman's principle a number of times that mammals tend to be mammals tend to be the largest specimens of mammals tend to be at the most northern point of their range yeah which has to do with heat retention and heat dissipation so if you just imagine like imagine a white-tailed deer um the most you know the diminutive forms of white-tailed deer like down in, in the florida keys where you have keys deer like very small deer and everybody knows like the really big bodied bruisers from alberta so if you imagine a white-tailed deer, like a large white-tailed deer has a lower surface area ratio than a small white-tailed deer, so which is beneficial for heat retention. A smaller-bodied white-tailed deer has higher surface area, which is good for heat dissipation. The same way if you think about an African elephant has big, huge ears, and a woolly mammoth had very small ears because they used those ears to cool their blood by sending blood into their ears, which is exposed to the air to cool it. And then other things have strategies by which they try not to expose blood to air. But there's, the reason I bring that up is there's a principle with islands where generally on islands, mammals tend toward diminutive form. And here you have... These are huge. See, the weird thing is they're huge islands. Yeah, they're, they're huge. They islands. become almost like not. They become almost like un-island like when they're so huge. Because you know, like there's there's enough. Probably everything's smaller on an island because there's not as many resources. So they they just tend to be smaller. But there's a surplus of food here. Yeah, there's it's, more food than animals, and there's large predators. So the populations, the populations here, especially for the deer, are in extreme flux. Last year was a phenomenal deer season. The year before, or maybe it was two years before, it was all you could do to find a buck. I mean, just hunting hard. Last year, bucks everywhere, good antler growth, unbelievable season. This year is kind of down a little bit. Yeah, but it must take some time for that to even out. Cause, I mean, like, the thing has to be born and grow up. Yeah. I mean, three to four, you, you know, you've got your babies, 
and then about every three years or whatever to to grow like a like a yeah mature buck yeah so the oh, winters the winters are a lot harder here so yeah. like even the blacktails where you're at say if you're hunting black Sitka blacktail and Prince of Wales these blacktails are way bigger yeah, oh, in yeah. body way bigger body yeah and and their antlers get can get bigger but they they don't have as many trophy quality bucks all the time because extreme fluxes in the population and the horn gro- antler growth so there's good old days and not good old days yeah, yeah when winners. i'm looking at pictures of sick of blacktails i can pick out the kodiak blacktails oh yeah it's just such a look to them man. when you're packing one out it feels like packing out a mule deer from montana yeah people think blacktails are just tiny deer not the ones on kong island yeah on kong island now remy is Here's a good segue. Remy is hunting blacktails. Remy does oh, yeah. have a blacktail tag, but we're mainly pursuing elk. And so on Fognac, uh, Fognac Island, there are, well, there are a handful of islands in coastal Alaska that have elk herds. Edelin Island. Yeah. Um, Raspberry. What's that? Raspberry, Raspberry Island. Fognac Island have elk herds. And they're all limited draw hunts. Do you know what the draw odds here are? Um... Now, probably 10%. I'm just guessing from when I looked a while ago. And how many years ago was it that you drew this tag the first time? Oh, uh, I'm not. Four years? Four years ago? Yeah. And, and talk about what happened that made it be that you said you would never, ever do this again. Oh, it was just brutal pack out. Just such a large animal. And it was me and my brother on that hunt. And so... It was, yeah, it's one of those trips where you're doing it and you just are saying, why did I suffer through this? Why did I choose to do this? And then the day you leave, you think about it and you go, ah, that wasn't so bad. Oh, yeah. You're like proud of yourself for accomplishing it. But the elk were not anywhere close to where we were camping. So we had to go up over the range, down the valley to the other side, shoot an elk carry it all the way back up then his was another six miles past mine same deal up over range dropping down going through brush and terrible yeah there's nowhere to land aircraft around no i mean you can land aircraft on floats in on you know you can land aircraft on floats there's a couple like shoreline bars where you can down like at sea level where you can land. Yeah, depending on the tide and the winds. But and there's the some low la- there's some low lakes where you can land. Yeah, but there's no way to get. You can boat into some places, but, but then you got all, but you got peaks out here that are a couple thousand feet high. Yeah, so you, you're you're always going to be climbing from close to sea level to a couple thousand feet, and. Now, you could have it luck out and they'd be where you camp, but it just hasn't been my experience. We tried that last year. My dad drew an elk tag, and we had him spotted the day before the season, like near the coast, right where we were camping. Storm rolls in, and the next morning they were three miles up. Gotcha. And, and some other hunters were actually up there. And then by the time they got done getting spooked around, they were just in a place where you, it would take taken five days to pack out. Talk about the time and di- the hours and distance you guys spent packing elk up here. I re- I have it on my, because I did log it and I hate saying what wasn't right, but it was, I can't remember at this point, it, it was what I have on this thing that I saw the other day, it was 80 hours 
of packing. So that might have been 40 40 hours a person, or it could have been 80 hours total. I can't remember now. But you're going from this location, you're going up 1,200 feet. Yeah. And then down 1,500. Yeah. Because you're almost back down to sea level. Yep. We're on his bull, we did to get from camp to his bull and back was 5,000 feet. 5,000 vertical feet. Vertical feet. So, and we would start, we started an hour before sunup, hike up there, get there, um, get there just about noon lunchtime and be back just after dark. And, and, you had to move guys, and you had to move 700 six, pounds. Yeah, about 600 pounds. 600 pounds. Yeah. And and that's boned out. Yeah. You know, over the... I've been putting in for this tag for... Well, different versions of it. I've been putting in for, like, some version of these tags. Yeah. Different spots. Because there's many units on, like, Raspberry Island... And here's a bunch of units. There's a lot of units here. Yeah, Some are easier to draw than others. And I've been like putting in for them for over a decade. I never drew it. Really? And then Remy drew it four years ago and vowed to never come do it again. And then I said, let's put in as partners. And he was like, okay, so we won't draw it anyway, so it doesn't matter. And then we drew it. And then we drew it. And so and here like, you sit. Crap. <laughs> no, here but- you sit in the rain. With I, fog in a tent. I would do it with you because I know that it would it would be actually easy. There's just certain people I would do this hunt with. My oh, brother yeah. was well, one yeah, of them. You come with you'd Steve, be another. You get the, the helicopter crew. experience. Celebrities, yeah, you get celebrities celebr- and helicopters. Yeah, and you knew you were going to draw when you applied. Yeah, to Steve. exactly. Because that's how it works in Alaska. But it's a big like just to be totally transparent. Um, with a like the guys that we the guys we work with. On our crew, like we're you know we're here filming, and the guys we work with on our crew, um, we always split meet up after our hunts. Usually, like even Steven, which is and great. Everybody packs meat, so it really is a like a tremendous advantage. Oh, yeah. when you have because we're six, going up the hill with six packers. When you have six packers, I mean six people. Yeah, that's that is two additional days of two people. Yeah. That's huge. So if you think about, we shot two bulls, and we had two guys. So if it was one trip with six guys, well, in each bull you had three trips, but it was actually more than that. Uh, yeah, what was it? What we did on, on one of them was we did, like, point A to B to C to D to E to F <laughs> and just had it in trees the whole way. So we'd oh, like the bounce cash, the whole thing. Bounce the whole thing. Like in a continuous line, mm. and then we got it to a for, a for big what tree. purpose? So you didn't have to go all the way back every day. You're still walking the same amount of miles. You are, but it gets the cash. Closer. Oh, I got no I'm because you. you got you've got bears. You just go from tree to tree, so you're never you don't want to, you can't just skin it out and just leave it at the kill site. And oh, I'll be back here. Yeah, you know. And the other thing is, we can check on it at a closer point. Yeah, because my thought is, if it's hanging in a tree at camp or hanging in a tree four hundred yards away or a mile away, it doesn't matter. It's hanging in a tree. At some point, it needs to come back to camp. But you can utilize your time a little bit better. Yeah, if you get a bull down, you start ferrying him from points. Because to go, 
and because you have a, a, a mountain in the middle. You know, so if you get everything to the base of the mountain or to the top of the mountain, it's a lot easier than having to walk up that thousand feet there, the the main pass, and then drop back down and then drop back up. You know, you I got do you. All so you work. get up there and do your work and just try to move the whole thing. Right. And, exactly. Yeah. You know, when you draw the tag, um, the, the 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 fish and game department. Well, sends you kind of like a little note illustrating some of the challenges. And with this one, they, they seem to be, they're, they're particularly pointed about the challenges of the hunt. And I noticed that when I drew a Copper River um, buffalo tag, they had, they, there was like a long letter, it was like a couple page letter, being like, but now that you have this thing, this tag, here are some things you should pay attention to. Um, and it had to do with, you know, ice flow and free and access issues and just really lays out for you in a way that's almost kind of pessimistic sounding here. The note that your tag comes with is about one. These things are huge and people shoot them too far away and get in over their heads. And two, it says, you know, the carcass, the kill site will be claimed by a bear. Yes. Usually within the first night. Yeah. It so was saying you have to get the meat away from the guts. When I shot my bull, we had to we had to actually go a different route to stalk him because there was multiple bears amongst the herd of elk big bears like big boars and there was a couple there was one sow with cubs on the other side so we're kind of dodging bears we watched one go into where we were actually planning on walk like this patch of alders we were planning on walking down through so then we rerouted around that patch of alders i shoot my bull we get up to it. The bear decides to wake up out of the patch of alders. The wind's blowing toward him, and he's just got his nose up as we're skinning and cleaning <laughs> yeah. the thing. I mean, he knew it was there, and and so we had essentially, with the two of us, one guy on bear watch while the other guy's cutting it up because it's it was thick in there, and we knew that the bear knew where we were, and he was coming our way so at some point. They're fully habituated to gunshot being a meal here. I don't, I, don't know. Know. I, mean, I don't know if there's really enough. I don't think there's enough of that, but they know. They, sm- they just they know. Smell they smell yeah. dead elk. And I mean, maybe. It, they're maybe definitely aware of elk. Aware, they probably yeah. like kill elk calves. Yeah. And kill elk. Yeah. Well, t- two interesting bear stories. So one has to do with what we're talking about. One doesn't. I'll tell the one that doesn't first. We're uh, doing a caribou hunt a couple weeks ago. And the pilot that flew us in and dropped us off in the bush while we were hunting he was telling a story where he's flying along in a in a super cub and sees a big chocolate colored grizzly like a big mature grizzly dragging something and he gets curious what it is and circles around it's a big grizzly dragging a sub-adult grizzly and over the next hill is probably that bear's litter mate another sub-adult grizzly running off and the bear's still limp like he just killed the thing the next plane that came over, the guy that this guy works with flew over. And by that point, the bear was burying the grizzly. And a couple of days later, they flew over and he was sleeping on top of it. So he was full on eating it. The second story is a guy we flew in with here does some flying for biologists with fish and game. And they were out collecting collars. Like they had been working on a collaring project with brown bears. Yeah. And they had a glitch where, um, I don't know if it was a glitch, but they had 
you know, the, the collars are timed, so they're good for two years, and then the collar will fall off, and they'll go out and pick up their collars. And they're out the other day picking up collars, and they go to where they had a a, 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 a grizzly or brown bear, same thing, um, picking up a collar, and the collar is laying next to a elk carcass, a big bull. So when his collar fell off, he was in the in the act of feeding on a big dead bull he'd killed. Or found. Yeah. Probably killed. Yes. That leads me to a question. Because he weighs twice, as, or not twice, I mean, he weighs like a lot more than, I mean, they're big elk with big bears, but it's like, you know, lions will kill deer and elk that weigh three, four, five times what they weigh. He's yeah. not going to care. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com. Or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched Hunt Research Tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. 
To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. No. I think that, uh, I, I mean, I definitely think that they follow those herds because it's it's a food source. It's right there, and they'll eat other things along the way, but if something happens, or especially they're rutting now, I would imagine bulls get injured or wounded or tired from rutting really hard and they're bedded up and they aren't thinking as clearly as they might other times a year so this time of year right now seems to attract more bears and they're the elk are making a lot of noise yeah so i think that that's a an of audio cue to the bears saying oh food over here yeah you know, they can smell them they can hear them and it just attracts them we were one time Posted up on a glass and tit watching a group of moose. And we went down to, me and my older brother went down and started putting the moves on a bull that was in this group of moose. And our buddies stayed up on the tit. We're just observing from high above. And they saw a grizzly come in. While we were stalking these moose, a grizzly came in and attacked a calf. Really? In the group we were stalking. That's that would be. Crazy. I mean, they're just in there mixing it up with big, giant, freaking animals, man. Yeah. And if he is just out eating grass or eating berries, why not do that in proximity to all these big, mewing, bellowing, exactly protein piles? Because, <laughs> like, why not? You might have an opportunity <laughs> to get something a little better than grass. Yeah, it's like you could drink at, if you're single. You could drink at home or drink in a bar. Yeah. It's like, at least if you're at the bar, who knows, something good might happen to you. Exactly. Is you, that, know, you could be drinking anyways. Is there a different, have they done studies on like ratio of plants versus like game protein on these brown bears versus other regions? Like these smaller These much bears. higher on yeah. animal because of they, because they eat so much salmon. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. they can't distinguish between that or like deer or elk as far as a Oh, oh, I'm sure if you go and do, yeah, I'm sure if you go and look at like the actual isotopes in them, you would tell what they're eating. Yeah. They can get a really detailed analysis on it. Those like, by looking at like stable isotopes, we were down in Salta, Argentina, me and my wife, and we went to, have you ever heard of those children that the Incas um, would sacrifice on mountaintops? They'd take them up, you know, 15, 16,000 feet. And make these little rock holes and just knock the kids in the head and leave them in there as sacrifices. And they would just basically freeze dry in the high elevations. Dang. Well, yeah, we went to see the, these this one in Salta, Argentina that's now in like a climate-controlled thing in a museum. And this, it was a boy. He's so well-preserved. I can't, No, there's there three children and they made a deal with the indigenous peoples that they only display one at a time. And... Why am I even talking about this? Oh, I know what I'm Isotope. talking about this. Isotopes. So they're so well-preserved, they had feathers in their hair, and the feathers are still perfect, and they still have coca leaves dried on their lips. I mean, this kid looks like he would stand up and walk Dang. away, but he was killed in probably, like, around 1491, right? Like, just pre-contact, height of the Incan Empire. And it was three kids they buried all together. There was a 13-year-old girl, and she had been hit on the head. They were all 
full of of uh, of alcohol, fermented like a f- fermented potato drink. So they, they would black make. them out. So they probably bit. got them drunk, left them up there. The girl probably realized what was going on. Maybe they had to hit her in the head. One of the kids was later struck by lightning at some point, and it's kind of burned a little bit. But no, they're perfect. They're perfect clothing. Everything about them is perfect. But they can, by looking at tissue samples, they can tell that these kids had, for most of their life, eaten nothing but potatoes. Virtually nothing but potatoes. But in the last months of their lives, had an extremely varied and rich diet. As they were getting ready And to be also had hundreds of trinkets from around the Incan Empire. So they're like taking them around on this big tour of the empire and we're probably being fed fish and llama meat and all this kind of stuff and given all these gifts and partying it up in order to then be taken up to the mountain and left on the mountain. And so they're able to tell not just like what it was eating, what they ate throughout their life but the sequencing of it. Yeah. Well, that, so that does, I am curious then why these bears, these brown bears on a fog neck are so much bigger than other bears that have the, the salmon protein and the black, tail and the elk options it has to be some well you got like a, a genetic factor because what's interesting about these bears is they've been genetically isolated for ten thousand years there's yeah. been there's like they feel that it's it, the island's far enough off the mainland there hasn't been any genetic exchange between these really? bears and other populations for ten thousand years so they're kind of off on their own trip yeah right and I think that you have phenomenal marine resources, like very rich salmon resources. And then the large game. And, and grass. It, yeah. Like great grass. And it's a draw area. So well, they're, they're not hunted as often. Yeah, they're not yeah, hunted as much. Not as much pressure. For yeah, them. it's a trophy area as well. But you know, the, the, the hunting mean, writer. And the, and the food plays a huge part, and that's why it is. Yeah, but they're not, I mean, they're not, but the, the elk are introduced, so that hasn't, like, changed. I mean, these bears right. have been big for a long time. Yeah. The hunting writer uh, and guide, Tony Ross, he's got, a, he's got a book about grizzlies and brown bears, and he talks about that big boar, like, an, an actual, like, food source, an important food source for grizzlies is grizzlies. That the, the older boars on these islands are full-on preying on cubs huh. and it's like a food source for them so they're coming out of hibernation eating grass for a while and then devoting time and energy to just eating bears not to spread their genetics through breeding but just for a food source that's the thing you hear all the time that it's a, it's a weird thing when it comes to like behavior in, in people talking about like genetic and the reasoning of what animals do so boars tend to like Large boar, bear, black bears, grizzlies, whatever, tend to feed more on bears than other bears do. And because it's easy to do, they tend to kill cubs and eat them. A thing that people say is that they're like, there's a re, there's a, there's sort of a, a, a sexual advantage or an adaptive advantage to the boar killing the cubs because the, like, when a female has, a female will have her cubs in February or March in a den. She'll come out of hibernation with those cubs and will not be receptive to breeding. She'll spend the entire summer and fall with her cubs, den with them again, emerge from the den with them, 
and then will become receptive to breeding that June, July. Yeah. So she's always skipping. She's always skipping a whole year. Like a bear doesn't drop. It's not like a deer that'll drop a fawn every year. Yeah. She'll drop cubs possibly every other year. So when a boar, so if you look like a boar is the one going around doing the infanticide, the, the eating of one's own offspring or one's own species, they commit an infanticide. The thinking being that that sow will come into rut that year that she that went. year. Yeah. So if he's out in April and May dusting off cubs, sows that would not normally breed with him are now going to become receptive to breeding. He might breed them. And it's like so advantageous of a thing that it seems like they will kill cubs that because of proximity to their home range are very likely their own cubs. To rebreed that same sow. Yeah. So it's like, but it's like, you look at it and you'd be like, so that's why the bear does it. But I don't, like, you can't really, you don't really know like why the bear does it. Yeah. Right. It could be that the bear does it because he's just big. He's not, a, he, he can confront a sow and not get killed by her because he's so much bigger than she is and he can eat the cubs it doesn't he doesn't need to get into a giant fight trying to kill the sow and a result of that is that she becomes receptive and he breeds her so it would like reinforce that behavior but it might not be that the bear's thinking huh man it's a bummer that she's not gonna want to do it this summer if i eat her cubs she'll become receptive and i'll be able to pour the coals to her and have like new offspring so yeah, it's like yeah. when you say like why he does it it's a result is different correct. than what the result of he does yeah the the geneticist stephen gould talks about that where people like look at a tree and like bark's brown what is the selective advantage of bark on a tree being brown and it might be like there is no advantage it's like what is advantageous is that bark is thick and protective maybe a result of it becoming thick and protective makes it brown but the brown doesn't do any advantage for the tree it's yeah. just of some it's like some random offshoot that doesn't really matter so when you look at like nature you think that everything has a purpose some things are the result just are yeah the result of other issues like why do salmon jump so much when they're getting ready to spawn yeah some people say it's because they're trying to knock their eggs loose which they have a very hard time believing <laughs> do you hear that no i've never heard that they're trying to loosen their egg sac. That doesn't make any sense. But I don't know. Why do they jump? There might be no but that good would only reason. Be the, that would only be the uh, reason for the females. You still have to come up with the reason for the males. Yeah, you see males yeah. and females jumping. So when people are like, why do they jump? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know that jumping is really doing them any good. It might be some other, a product of something that does make sense, that makes them have the tendency to do that, but it's not like they're getting something out of it. So they can get out of the water and see where they're going. Yeah. Hey. yeah. See any bears up there? Yeah. <laughs> any bears? Oh, You're time to jump. <laughs> so, yeah, the bears are huge, and that's a good point. So, like, the elk, we'll get back to elk, but bears out here are draw. This is another draw I put in for every other. You can only put in every other year. Every other year I put in for non-resident, non-guided Kodiak hunts. What that means is... Anybody that wants to hunt with a guide can go anytime they want. Uh, no, they have to draw as well. I'm pretty but sure. But they draw outfitter sponsor tag, which you're going to get. Yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. What's hard to get is it's hard for a non-guided resident to draw. And I can hunt here without a guide because my brother is a resident of Alaska. 
But that's a very difficult tag is non-guided, non-resident. But there are a lot of outfitter sponsors. It's much easier to draw a tag with a sponsored outfitter. Yeah. Like their clients get preference. The, the resource is managed. The resource, the brown bear resource is managed to support the guiding industry in this area. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly how many tags they would get or whoever gets the tags. I haven't really looked at looked yeah, into that here. Like what the breakdown? Yeah, well, you have a mu- you have a much much. If you sign up with an outfitter, you have a much higher chance of drawing than than a hunter host. But you, I don't know if that's the case of having a much higher chance of drawing than a resident hunter. I believe that it is, man. Because I it, could be, I could be wrong. You're in we the will same, get a lot of people in calling the, yeah, to you're correct in the same us. pool. What's that? You're in the same pool. You are? As far as I recollect. It's too bad yeah. we don't have the paperwork with us. No, I know. It's in my tent. Um, because I've put in for a uh, uh, sheep tag in the Chugach. Yeah, but that's a whole different place and thing. Yeah, but if it's... Uh, yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know. Yeah, that's a different I don't issue. think that you, you're saying that there's a, a draw, an outfitter draw. The outfitter, the brown bear outfitters have a quota all their own. Oh, I, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. I would. I'll, I'll, I have no clue. So I put in a ton of times. Well, every other year, because I always do the spring hunt. So every other year, I put in for a non-guided, non-resident spring Kodiak hunt and never draw it. Yeah. What's well, a tough tag to draw? Yeah. So, yeah, that helps have big-ass bears. Yeah. Then in an area where you're allowed to kill, in a road-accessible area where you're allowed to kill, where residents are allowed to kill two grizzlies a year, it tends to put a crimp on the biggins. Exactly. Tightens them up. Yeah. Now, back to elk. What are your thoughts on the whole deal? On the elk here? Yeah. You mean like, how do you, com- like, what does it compare, like, in your mind to, like, hunting Rocky Mountain elk? Yeah, I mean, it, it's similar to hunting elk in an area where there's there's a big herd. But that one herd, you know, moves around. So it, there's a lot of similarities between Rocky Mountain elk and these elk. Um, you know, I think the only difference is... Just the terrain that they're in might be a little more open. Well, at least where we're hunting, it might be a little more open than some other elk areas. But what I noticed both times is you don't really get those. In Montana, you might have five elk here and a, a, a herd of 20 elk there and these different basins. It's almost like they all group up right now. Yeah. And they're in one group. And there's a lot of no elk country that looks like there should be elk. And you don't see anything. So there's a lot of miles in between where the elk are but once you find them you're in them thick and then they might just be gone somewhere else yeah the bulk the bulk of the of the normal like rocky mountain elk hunting that i've done has been in an area where in the firearm season like during the early archery season they're pretty well dispersed yeah but by the time the late firearm season starts in late october they group up into these giant groups and it's like hunting them kind of, well, people talk about where is the herd? Yeah. Because you're chasing after these balls of three, 400 elk traveling together. 
And it means that there's one place that has elk and a lot of places that don't. Exactly. Which I have kind of grown to hate. It's terrible. It really is because it's nice to go to go up on a ridge and glass this valley and go okay and think there's a possibility that there'll be an elk here. But if yeah, it, like you'll either see them immediately, there's either a, a hundred of them or there's none of them, and that kind of sucks. Yeah, it makes it tough because you have to travel a lot. It makes it easy to find them when you're in the area where they're at, obviously. But it's you're all not that downtime. It's all that downtime in between. Yeah. You're not going to miss a ball elk that big. No, I mean, especially going to be standing up. Yeah, they'll be standing. They'll be making noise. They'll be doing something, so you can find them if you're in that close enough proximity where you have a line of sight to them. Yeah, but that oh, I might bump one on the way there, and you just you just don't. What's preventing us right now from even hunting is rain and fog. Yeah, which you which is like. That's a factor everywhere, but fog is like a peculiar thing of like the coastal environments, and there's nothing that shuts you down as hard as fog shuts you down. Yeah, you need to be able to see. Rain is one thing. If it's high cloud and it's it's just wet, you can still figure out where they're at. But when you're talking about going five miles and they might be at the end of this, and you need to, I mean, and you're trying to run into one herd, it just is not advantageous to do it when you can only see 20 feet. We... I was on a goat hunt here in Alaska one time hunting mountain goats and we hiked into an area that we knew to have some and sat in the fog for three days just going insane. We actually found an old mining camp and so we found a a torch, a propane tank, backpacked that stuff back to our camp and we're like spending time experimenting with heating rocks with with a weed burning torch and then bringing the rocks into our tent to see how warm we could make it. I mean, just like honestly killing time. And then one day the fog blows out and we realize that the whole time we've been sitting there, it's just there are just goats everywhere above us. Like they would have been just they were there the whole time. Yeah. There's no way to see them. Yeah, it's, you. What if you had a week of fog in your hunting? You could do in two hours of clear no fog. What it would take a week of figuring in the fog. Yeah, or more. Like we might. Yeah, if we wake up tomorrow and it's clear, it's just gonna be like easy it's just you gotta go yeah you just gotta go like yeah, now's your chance it's a different it's a different game what were you saying the, su- the success rate of that of the harvest of the roosevelt's extremely low right i yeah i mean last time i think it's a combination of factors i think that people get the tag and they don't hunt real hard or they don't want to or can't physically get to the animals and get them back to camp. and just don't show up and don't show up. A lot There's of people some hunts that have up. very low, not just low success, but they have low participation. Because it's to get out here. Because you think like, oh, I'll do, like, I'll put in. And then the more you find out about it, distance, time, money, whatever, people just like wind up like, ugh, never mind. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, if, you, if I was someone that says, you know, I'd really like to shoot a Roosevelt elk. I would suggest them not come here to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a million places that you could go, and it'd be a hell of a lot easier to get to, a lot easier hunt, and probably more animals. But it's just the fact of this is something different. It's in a cool place, and not that many people have done it. And you just so I'm just drawn to 
give it a try. The first time I ever put in for this, I had no clue about it. It was more of an accident than anything. I thought, well, I put in for everything else. So put in for elk here. And my brother called and says, like, hey, we drew elk tags. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> elk tag? I forgot oh, about that. Shit, I better try to figure out where these things even are. Yeah, I think that there's some things. There's just some, like, there's something to a handful of people, like, really seductive about the idea of coming to this part of the world and coming to these crazy islands with these crazy giant bears and hunting these giant damn elk on them. Yeah. Because, I mean, their antlers are actually pretty small. Yeah. But their bodies are huge. Yeah, they don't have big old racks. No. I mean, the, the last one I got was a giant, like, for this, for Alaska, for the area. I mean, a, a pretty large 6 by 6 which I think is, you know, it was way above average. Um, but... You know, I was pretty lucky to get a good bull like that. And then we saw another one. My brother could have got one, but we ended up calling in. When we were trying to call the big bull, a small bull came in, and he just said that was it was so cool to have that bull in his lap. It was five by five. He just shot it. I was like, all right, awesome. Gave up on the big one. Yeah, yeah he just he was like, it was more about the experience. We could have hunted and snuck in on the big one, but to have that bull just come right in and be calling and just that cool i mean it just looked cool and him the bull screaming and my brother shot it pretty close it was just a cool experience so you know it was just about the experience not necessarily the rack or anything um but yeah i mean it's you can go other places and hunt the same species a lot easier or bigger ones or whatever but it's just no something to try and yeah do and different yep I mean, I don't, there's a lot of people that, yeah, there's not a whole lot of people who say, oh, yeah, I, I shot an elk on a Fognac Island. No, you know, think about, like, the participation success thing. Um, the your, Earlier I was talking about, like, drawing kind of a similar, like a similar sort of hunt, which was the, the, the Copper River, you know, bison hunt in Alaska. I remember that, like, that year, I remember they gave out 24 tags for that hunt, and at the and that's an eight-month-long season. Wow. You can start hunting, I think, sometime in September and hunt through March. Is that eight months? No. It's a big, long season. Six-month yeah. long season, whatever it is. It's a long season. Well, I'm going to add it up right now in my head. Eight. It is. Yeah. So, six-month long season. Or so. Yeah. Because I can't remember the exact dates, but, like, it's at least half the year long. Out of the 24 tags, only four people got one of the animals. I think the vast majority of the of the holders never did it. Didn't go. Or they might have gone and just said, Ah, that's too hard that's too far. That's too hard. Well that hunt you either gotta like you're you're either in it or you're not in it. It's kinda like this one. There's no way to come and do a light version. Well, you could you could go and see them at the top of that ridge and go, You're here, but you go, ah, I don't know if I want to carry one back up this mountain. Yep. I mean, that's a sensible way to approach it. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I would picture, the, yeah, people probably come and they're like, if we can get land somewhere and maybe have some come close, we'll maybe do it. If not, we'll hunt deer and fish salmon. Yeah, that happens a lot. Because, to be honest, the killing, like, to kill an elk here didn't seem to me that difficult. It was the the more of the hunt. Some hunts are, you struggle all the way up to the point where you get one. 
this hunt was more the opposite where it was medium tough to actually get one not it, i mean i shot mine the first morning of the first day and but 90 percent of the hunt was after you pulled the trigger mm-hmm. it was just the packing and the grinding and getting the dang thing out yeah so yeah i mean there's those hunts where you just struggle all the way up until the kill and then everything afterwards is just that quick yeah pull the truck pull up the truck throw up. them in yeah. drive to the processor yeah. and then there's those hunts where you can go out and get something fairly fast, but you're spending an entire week or more getting it back home. Yeah, we made an initial uh, kind of a like a, 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 a like a, a somewhat quixotic walk up the hill today, knowing that we would just walk up into the fog because yeah. you can tell from here it's very foggy. So we walked up there and said, "Wow, it's really foggy," and then walk back down. Um, and the whole time I was doing that, all I'm thinking about, well, the whole time we've been yeah. here, except for when we were like thinking about how great the salmon fishing was, all I'm thinking about is the pack out. Yeah. It's just like weighing on my mind. And maybe because I, the, the this, suckiness, the, the pending suck, the pending suck, the <laughs> pending suck is all I think about. And I'm worried about <laughs> like, maybe I over, oversold the suck, but for that, for the two of us, where we shot our bulls, it was suck. Like, <laughs> me and Jason both are professional elk packers. We carry elk for a living. Like, we guide elk. We carry two elk a week most weeks for some years, 10 weeks out of the year. <laughs> it's like, we know what carrying elk is. You know, we pack out a ton of animals. Yet this was just a miserable pack out. Like, we were, and I mean, and obvious. I got, I drank some bad water and got really, really yeah, sick. Yeah, Remy drank some elk wallow water. That elk water. before the pack out? That was midway through because I, I drank it the first day, but it took a while for whatever I the drank incubates. to just, yeah, to yeah. incubate. Yeah, so the, we're, we're landed on a lake and, and we're on the lee, we're kind of on the, no, we're on the, not the lee, we're on the wind-driven side of the lake. And the lake's full of dead salmon and beaver-chewed sticks. So you know there's beaver fever in these, in these here waters. And we found a little trib coming in, flowing out from under a hill. And my first thought was, that trib's great, and drank it. And then Remy's talking about having gotten <laughs> sick up here before. So now I'm kind of like half waiting around to get sick. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I, no, that one will be fine. Yeah, Unless well, I got like me, so I got me a little emergency pack of Cipro, so when oh, yeah. things go down from water, I'm going to be... You'll be fine. I'm I'll be hurt. I didn't bring no, anything. I'll give you some. I know you're not supposed to. You're always supposed to take full doses, but I'll share my Cipro Perfect. with Perfect. <laughs> no, I think uh, that water filtration is one thing that I should probably get better at. I hardly ever take water filtration. Well, once we got on... like I used to take more shortcuts and be lazier, but then we got on the pens. And that's what I need to ultraviolet yeah, looks, ultraviolet little ultraviolet wands and i've had the same one now i think i've had the same stary pen for five years i think i'll start using that i mean and part of it stare well i typically just sterilize everything. part of it i'm i mean i'm real careful about where i get my water and i know except places, for that one time when it was well, that, i was just real thirsty <laughs> and my brother looks at you like shakes his head nah and i tasted it and thought this is getting it good. was that that 
real soft water that feels like <laughs> that horrible taste and that like silky texture in your yeah. mouth. And I said, this is perfect for bacteria. <laughs> Yeah, you my bro got sick off elk wallow water. What was that, Yanni? Ooh. I was going to say, you weren't really wanting to go the easiest, lightest way. You could always just drop... Uh, I done. Yeah. Just purification tablets. Well, the problem is well, you got to wait, wait for two minutes. Yeah. yeah. That you have is, to wait. That's why I got sick in Arizona once, is because I didn't feel like doing that. And I was so... Because we kind of got screwed up a little bit and didn't have any water out in the desert and hit some wait, water. Huh? And I was like, ah! Everybody's like, well, I'm going to put some tablets in mine and wait and i was like oh, i'm thirsty this looks all right and i got sick as a mofo man <laughs> yeah. yeah that was the beginning of a long trip that, for you on it that well, iodine messes hospital. with you for more than three days mm-hmm. i think i don't like i don't like using iodine for more than three days oh yeah because it can mess you up it's too. not recommended it, for no. repeated use yeah it's, i carry iodine tablets in my kit but no one's in my emergency kit but it's not recommended to just use that as a strategy now you're I've spending seen, day after if you're spending like weeks out in the woods every year, you just can't be drinking all that iodine. Yeah. Kills the good bacteria in your system. Oh, what you never are. feel refreshed. You always it's that weird hmm. I don't know. The water just isn't the same. Isn't the same. No, uh Ridge, you uh you haven't said anything. I'm taking it in, man. Do you have any, like, I'm riding introduced. the storm out. Oh. Chris Gill, Ridge Pounder. Riding the storm out. You have nothing that's on your mind? Uh, I did have a thing about Remy's point about over-exaggerating the suck in that I don't think that you are over-exaggerating the suck based on, like, the minor hike that we did today with, like, the waist-tall grass, like, grabbing at your feet and doing that with, like, a super heavy pack of meat. I feel like that's uh, I feel like that's going to be a pretty tough pretty tough go oh the little our little foray today yeah didn't make me be like oh this will be fun (laughs) (laughs) if anything what was i thinking (laughs) no i'm dreading it yeah it's it's steep in that the grass it's steep yeah i went (laughs) took a dig (laughs) (laughs) remy 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 no remy all everything in my power to go backwards (laughs) face first down the mountain did a full somersault well where i was looking for you to pop up you were downhill like 20 feet from where i I disappeared (laughs) you you took a roll in the grass today today. i I, my foot got hung up and i just went straight forward face forward (laughs) It doesn't look like shintang from a distance, but it's it's got some shintang qualities. Like New Zealand shintang. Well, I thought we were introduced to shintang in British Columbia. I thought that's where it grew. Oh, um, yeah. Sh- no, you're right. You're right. Tangles your shin. What's the stuff that in New Zealand they talk about? The really bad to walk through stuff? Oh, it's like gore. Come back gorse. here. What is it? Gorse. Yeah. Yeah, that's the real thick. That's the sticker stuff. Yeah, but. shintang is like... um. It's like carpet juniper. Hmm. It's yeah, like, I feel like it's get, just like stunted growth furs. Yeah, because spruce elevation. will do it too. High wind battered, high elevation where they grow not high but out. Yeah, it's very yeah. difficult to wait. Call that through. monkey scrub because you just scrub. like you look like a monkey crawling through it. Now, here's the thing I want to bring up and get you guys' opinion on it. We kind of touched on this, and the reason that, that I want to bring this up is because. It relates to a previous episode where my brother Matt was on, and we were talking about stealing people's spots, stealing people's hunting spots, and we were having a debate. Um, if you go, it started out like this: 
if you go hunt with a guide, so you go on a guided trip, is it ethical for you to just go back the next year and hunt that spot? No. Well, you're your guide, so yeah, I know what you're going to say. I, no, but I <laughs> so am, give me your take on it. Here's my take on it. I am a stickler when it comes to hunting spots. I will never hunt a spot that someone else takes me into, and I expect the same from other people. Okay. I think that it's – now, here's the other thing is if you communicate with the person and say, hey, I'd like to go hunt this spot, and they're like, yeah, that's cool, then you can do it. And the same as a guide. If there's somebody that hunts with me, and like, oh, you know, I'd really like to hunt this next year. Then I would be like, okay, let me give you some really good spots to go into that don't, because the places I hunt are just in proximity to what makes it convenient. There's a million places that I would love to hunt, but I'm not going to go drive 30, 45 minutes. But if you're just coming from wherever, well, you might as well go hunt that spot because I'm not going to be there. Yeah. You know? So, so, so let me help you out. Here's some places to go. We won't be yeah. we won't be interfering with each other. Yeah. Cuz this last week I there's well we were talking about this is in Montana it seems like there was an influx of non-resident hunters this year and I think partially due to the fact that there was a world record bull killed on public land in Montana. So everybody sees that and they go, "Oh, I'm going to hunt Montana this year." So they pick a spot in Montana and maybe places where I don't know. I think the people that did this were from Minnesota or Michigan or Minnesota. But it's like in Montana, you especially elk season during the rut, you're doing a lot of calling. You generally want to space yourself out between other hunters. Yeah. You know, it's not advantageous to you or the other person. It's not person. like ice fishing. It's not like ice fishing. Or the whole lake. If there's yeah. one dude, you go drill a hole go, next to that so guy. So they, these two people, <laughs> these two like, individuals had that mentality. They parked behind my truck. And just, like, walk into this small area. Were you guys hearing any bugling? We are. Well, no shit. You're hearing me bugling <laughs> right up on the ridge, and you're walking toward it. You know, it's, it's It makes no sense. It's a yeah. different mentality, but maybe where they're from, that's the way that they do it. They see a truck. That must be a good spot. That must be where to go. go hang our stand there. It's just yeah, completely different. Fishing. I accept that with fishing. Like, if I'm out on a lake, right? And I got some holes drilled, and a guy shows up. I think he'd be like, I'm gathering that that's where the fish are. And he comes over, and I would think nothing negative about that person. Right. Duck hunting, it really bothers me. Well, yeah. And it bothers me even way more big game hunting. Now, now, rifle season, when there's people everywhere, yeah, vehicles get stacked up at trailheads, this, that, and the other thing. That's completely acceptable. But when you're bow hunting, and you're calling, and you're trying the success is based on you working an animal and tricking its behaviors a certain way and they're calling and you're calling and you're calling each other in and the elk <laughs> and the, all that ends up at the end is two hunters staring each other in the face yeah with, i mean it just doesn't make any disappointed sense countenances. yeah it just doesn't make any sense so but but the but the, you kind of veered off on me there but I'm saying that's the spots. Yeah, spots. So he, so we had this conversation where, like, if you were on a guided trip, is it okay to go to that spot? And my brother was saying, I can't remember how, vo- how, how like, fervent he was in his belief, but he's saying, like, it's different in that situation because you were paying, you were paying someone. So it makes it a different relationship. But you're paying for that trip. You're not paying for, like, the spot. 
Yeah, if yeah, you, if you said the guide, I'm going to buy your spot, the guide would say, well, then you're not coming with me because I don't <laughs> yeah. view this as being me selling you the spot. Or exactly. if you're like, here's a blank check, give me all your hunting spots, write down whatever number you think's worth on it, and then, you know, if you buy, like, his knowledge, then it's one thing, but... Sure. I don't think it's. I don't think it's ethical. So we were kicking it around. This isn't even what I'm meaning to bring up. I'm just as a prelude. He was pointing out that it is a different relationship than a friend thing, and he was saying, and he agreed with everyone in the conversation that the primary crime, a capital crime. I'm talking out behind the woodshot, twenty-two round behind your ear crime, <laughs> is to. Have a friend take you hunting, and then to go in and hunt his spot. Oh yeah, without his knowledge, without saying permission. Something. Oh, that's a bad. Especially that's a bad deal. if that guy were to say, "Don't hunt this spot." Yeah. Now, the only crime worse than that crime is to go in there with other people. Yeah. And then introduce those other people to the spot. To the point where we're young, my dad was like, it just, he's like, it doesn't work. You cannot do it. You never, ever take anyone, friend or not, ever, no one into a spot. Was his perspective on it. Yeah, that's, that's, I agree. So we're having this whole conversation, and Matt, after discussing this, just had it happen to him. He took someone he works with into one of his favorite spots. That person brings along her boyfriend. Then apparently it just happened where that couple takes another group of people and they go in and hunt the exact spot. And he just found out about it. Yeah, that's so when I'm talking to someone about hunting or in areas that I hunt, I will never ask them intentionally. I will never say, oh, where'd you, or, because I, I do not want to know anywhere someone is hunting because I, I will find that spot on my head. own. I don't want it in my head because I will find that spot on my own and I do not want someone to, so when I go to like a new area or whatever, I generally just ask questions, but I like to find my spot myself. Because I know that if I find a spot that's good, I want to be able to go back there as many times as I want. I would rather find it on my own than have someone tell me and me not be able to do what I want. Because I probably would have found it either way. Yeah. So that a version of that happened to me where I got accused because my, my again, my older brother, he goes hunting and turns out that there's a guy I work with standing at the trailhead of a spot that he had been really wanting to check out. And he right away comes to me. He's like, what's up with that? And I'm like, I swear, <laughs> I swear I did not say, say anything. And it turned out it was pure coincidence in the investigation. In the ensuing investigation, it turns out that that person was operating on a whole other tip that had its own lineage. <laughs> and it was pure coincidence. But, dude, I was very nervous when confronted. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I screwed up and said something. But this situation he's in now, Yanni knows the story better. Am I doing right with the story? Yeah, you, you nailed it. Oh, it just gives me, it just makes me feel sick. It could be that water I drank, <laughs> but there has been a long enough incubation period. It just makes me feel sick. 
stealing people's spots. Yeah. And I think that that right there is the barrier to entry to hunting. Because nobody wants to share their spots because people are apt to just jack Because they'll just steal it. They will. And of course, other people, it's like, of course, it's not your spot. People will find it on their own. But yep. it's just like, it's just a thing that I had a friend a few years ago line me out on some spots, you know, and I had them in my GPS and I, they were in my GPS for a while. And I eventually went through and I was like, you know what? It's really not right. And I went through and deleted all those waypoints. Because they had names that were like um, like Richard's Bull. Yeah, nicknames. Yeah, like a waypoint that says Richard's Bull. And I would look and see that in my GPS. Like if I lose my GPS and some guy's like, they must have shot a bull right, right there. there. And I deleted it for fear of ever being the source of a leak. Yeah. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, and I'm in the navel, and I hear, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. 
gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Now, I've got two good buddies with what I would call really, really good waterfowl dogs and here's one of those buddies max not the dog but the buddy i've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states u.s and canada different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees and it just doesn't stop working i'm a fan for life get 20 percent off your first purchase using code meat eater so go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more I have a I have this map book, this Nevada map book that I used to you know I used to use a while ago, and I would mark my spots, but then I would mark fake spots. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, had older the thing was coded because I there was so many times that I'd have to give the map to someone. You're like, oh yeah, you know, and they need that map, but there was a lot of hidden. So that thing coded, yeah. I mean. Let's just say if Hillary Clinton's emails were encrypted like that map, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> there would be no problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that thing was locked tight. There's markings all over. But now I looked at it and I was like, I have no clue what any of this says. <laughs> You're like, I don't remember seeing shitloads of deer up there, but it must be true. Yeah. Why would I have written in this here map book? Yeah, Big Bull Basin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always a little incredulous I'm looking at a map and be like, Deer Mountain. I'm always a little bit like, it can't be that way anymore. No. I feel like at a time, maybe it was aptly named, but generations of dudes looking at Deer Mountain has probably made it not so. And sometimes it's that Iceland-Greenland thing. They just named it that. And then uh, No Buck Hills, the spot that really... Really strikes my interest. Another waypoint I had that I deleted from the same guy that lined me out in some elk spots is uh, a waypoint was called the Laundry Chute. His naming was because elk come pouring through there as though it were a laundry chute. So I had it in my GPS, and I'm like, hey, you know, someday maybe. But then I'm like, because no one's going to look at that and know what that means, but I, I got rid of that one too. The Laundry Chute. Yeah. Let someone steal my GPS and look at that name and be like, hmm, provocative title. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go there. To the shoot. Yanni, you got anything? Do you need to wedge in Weigh there? Weigh in on the, uh, that topic there? No. I feel bad for your brother. He asked me first if he was being a dick for calling these folks out on uh, – Going to a spot with other people. And I said, hell no. He did an ethics check on me about you. Oh. Where you went in to meet up with him somewhere. Mm-hmm. Was this this year or last year? Yeah. You didn't know he called me about this? No. So, <laughs> Yanni's going in to meet my brother hunting. And the minute Yanni gets there, my brother killed a bull already. Same day. Yeah. So, you get there and he's like, I just killed a bull. So you went and helped him uh, pack up, mm-hmm. and he loads his elk onto his llamas and hikes it out. Yeah. But we had to cut it up and get it hung in a tree, 
Yeah, that would take us until three o'clock in the morning. It's a long night. Three in the morning. Yeah, because then, he then, lost elk in there to a grizzly once, or then, lost a bunch of elk, yeah. lost meat to a grizzly. That's the thing that, I should add. This is a grizzly hellhole. Lots yeah. of grizzly bears. He refers to it so lovely as the uh, grizzly pit. The grizzly pit. Um, lots of bears, and they haven't been hunted since 1974, and do not give a shit about people. They just don't care. Yeah. No fear. So the he, next day he hikes out. Hikes out and to boy. bring his elk up to a cooler where he can get it in, in a walk-in. And he gets in and gets an updated weather forecast, and it's a bunch of snow coming. So he calls me, and I got him on speakerphone with my wife, and he calls me. He's like, hey, man, I need to like do an ethics check with you because I don't want to go back up in there just to get dumped down with snow. But oh. Yanni's up there. What? How would he sort of take, <laughs> or how would he view it if I just didn't show up for a few days until the snow melts and everything and it gets all nice? And I said, you cannot do this to me. <laughs> you can't do this to me. And he's like, all right, I'll go buy some warm clothes. Because <laughs> he hadn't even packed his warm clothes with him. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't have been pissed. I would have been understanding. It just wouldn't have been fun on my end. Yeah. Mostly just because you'd be wondering. You know, you start wondering. Yeah, like, what happened to him? Yeah. You'd wind up hiking out to go figure out what the hell happened to him. So, yeah, I told him. And I presented like he'd be almost kind of doing it to me a little bit. So you owe me. I appreciate it. It's nice to have company in the grizzly pit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we didn't see any, um, but we saw a few of their tracks after that big snow. Golly. I mean, some of these tracks, we did it. We put, I put both of my boot tracks inside of one pad. I put both my boots inside of it, and you could see the outline of the grizzly bear track in the snow. Well, that's a big bear track. Because You know what I noticed, too, is how in the distance sometimes when you look at a grizzly bear track, you're like, oh, is that a human walking? At first, you know, because it's just like they're big, oh, they're tra- big snow. tracks, right? Yeah, yeah. But then when you really look back at your own track and you look at that thing, the only way you can confuse the two would be if a human was walking in snowshoes because it makes you have that wider gait, mm-hmm. right? Because when we walk, we almost put like, you know, one foot in front of the other. That's saying even. When, when he's, <laughs> that's right, when he's walking <laughs> or she, I mean, there's, you know, eight to 12 inches between, you know, width-wise between the two tracks. Yeah. Um, Duncan Gilchrist, I remember reading this long ago, like, like, I gotta, I gotta back up when it was like, Oh, there's ways to measure bears. There's ways people discuss bears. There's three ways people discuss the size of bears in the East. They talk about how many pounds the bear was. The reason they do that is because they have bears that you can get at, right? You can like, and you can put them on a scale, shoot them, get them into a truck and then go weigh the bear. So they'll be like, this bear weighed X pounds. No one, like, in Alaska, like, generally is never going to tell you what a bear weighed. Yeah. It's extrapolated from other things. Um, so what, the, other, the, the second way to, that people discuss bears is it's squared hide. So you skin a bear, lay the skin out, and then you need to not stretch it, but like kind of pull it tight and let it lay there on, a, on its own accord, not like pegged out. And you adjust it until you have the 
tip of nose to tip of tail measurement the same as the claw tip to claw tip front leg measurement. So he's splayed out, arms out, side like a cross. And in order to not tweak it where you like really get the claws far apart, which shortens up the, you know, you're pulling hide and shortening up the length, it's called squared. So you get them to where tip of tail, tip of nose is, let's say you're looking at a black bear and it's six foot two. Then you measure tip of front claw to tip of front claw, and that's six foot two. You'd say it's a six two bear, squared. Guys that just pull them, that grab the nose and grab the tail and pull, and then measure. That's like just a bullshit measurement. Mm-hmm. The third and final way you measure bear, the official way, is you dry the skull for I don't know. You clean the skull, dry it for six months, measure the length, measure the width, add those two numbers together right that's yep. it that's it school size that's like the main official way to measure but it doesn't really reflect doesn't tell you much the about condition the condition of the bear because theoretically you could have some freak bear that had a giant skull and a dinky body oh yeah in well, fact prince of wales bears of genetic yeah prince of wales bears tend to have a much bigger skull to bodies a bigger skull to body size ratio than other bears so they get big skulls without being giant squared hides same with bears in like vancouver but and i think a lot of it too is uh the amount of time the bears spend out as well oh no why but like california has bigger skulled bears and they don't hibernate as long as say montana bears yeah and coastal bears don't so i don't know why that would affect their but it affects their overall size. There's, yeah, it seems to be a correlation. There's interesting correlations with bears. I'm going to get back to measuring bears. Because um, what... Remind me to get back to tracks and Duncan Gilchrist and stuff. But another interesting correlation of bears is if you take a map that shows rainfall, annual precipitation, and lay over that a map that shows high prevalence of color phase bears, color phase bears occur in arid areas and i could be wrong but i think it's like if a place gets 20 inches of rainfall the bears are jet black less than 20 you get higher pre- the, the the drier it is the higher prevalence of blondes browns reds hmm. the more rain the more likelihood with black bears that they're going to be jet black that makes sense and you start thinking think you start lining it, yep. it up with like places you know oh yeah yeah you go down New Mexico, southern Colorado, like dry places. It's like they get geeked out to find a black bear. Yeah. And then you go other places like California and, or no, black ones are rare there. But if you go the coastal, you know, the coastal areas, yeah. you know, to find a color phase one there, it might be near impossible. Yeah. I've looked at many, many, many bears in coastal, like coastal Alaska. Many, many. I've, you know, they're just black. It's just like bears are black. Hmm. You know, do you think that uh, if the uh, now what I'd be curious is if the area receives more rainfall, do oh, you think that they become more black? Because where I guide, it'd be, so, it'd be such a slow process. Where I guide for bears was, it seemed like all we ever saw was color face bears. Now we can't find any color face bears, really, or not as many. I think it'd be too slow. I think to, to, to like track the phenol, the phenological response to increased precipitation would take th- thousands of years. 
Or do you think it's something of like what they have to eat? No, I think it's, on- I, my feeling is that it has to do with um, the camouflage and the lushness of the vegetation. The air, bears, just as a theory, that bears that are living in lush vegetation where there's like a dark understory, right? They can get away with that jet black iridescence down in the shadows. And bears that are living their lives out in, black bears that are living their lives out in the open in sun-baked areas. It's a couple things. I think it's better camouflage, and they're not sucking up as much heat. They're not getting as hot. Because to have that, if you're a bear in Arizona, right, and you need to be out, like, eating uh, prickly pear, you know, and you're out there and it's 95 degrees and you're jet iridescent black, it's got to be a much more miserable experience than it is when you're a blonde face bear as far as heat. The same way, like, in super hot areas, they run red Angus and not black Angus cattle, and they run black Angus cattle in cold places. Back to dunk. So the three ways to measure things. Duncan Gilchrist says that if you want to know what a bear is going to square, you measure the width of his front pad and add one. And he says, that'll tell you what the barrel square. I've Yeah, I've done that, and it seems to be fairly consistent. Yeah, I've, I've I, done I, right, I go by it. I don't know. No, well, I've gone and measured after shooting the bear. Like It's a five-and-a-half-foot bear. And be like, yep, and I'll just measure the pad. It's a four-and-a-half-inch pad. Just measuring it on the multi-tool, just casually, not like getting all scientific about it. But generally, I found that it's generally kind of true. So if you find a six, if you find a black bear pad that's six inches, you're looking at a nice, big... And you got to do the front. Front pad. Which would be the rounder one, not the elongated one. Correct. Not the elongated one. The front, yeah, the, the front crop, wide one. Way. So if you're finding a track like that, I mean, you look, the real point being... I, don't, I haven't laid a tape measure to the width of your boots, but if you're looking at a track that's full on Eight that inches. big, nine inch, you're yeah. looking at like a legit. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, my, I'm doing it right now, and outside to outside is probably nine inches, maybe even a little bit bigger. But see, that's where I feel. That's what the reason, kind of the reason I was bringing it up is just, I, there's no way those are ten foot. There's no way there's a ten foot grizzly down but there. Remember that was in the snow too. Oh, yeah. yeah, like deep snow. Gotcha. Yeah, because I'd six say six to eight inches, you know. Yeah, so that changes the. Changes it's not it like a track that you found in the mud, you know. No, or the dirt. Yeah, because if I find a track in the mud that's five inches, I don't add an inch. No. Oh, in the mud where it's splayed yeah. out. Yeah, I got you. And when I was checking it, when I've checked it, I was checking it like, like I said, measuring the actual pad. So you need like a nice, good track. Not that he's all splayed out in some sandy beach where it, yeah. you know, squishes out to the sides. Um, Dirt, you got any uh, final anything comes to your mind? Yeah, we are talking about the the inevitable suck upon us, hopefully, and it it conjured up a quote I always hold in my mind. Oh man, that came from I'm a buddy. Excited, <laughs> yeah. And uh, this Rusty Willis, we were talking about. He built a cabin, or he's building the cabin, uh, kind of in a hard to reach place. And I asked him about you know why why put all this effort towards something kind of like what you were saying you can get a roosevelt elk in many places but uh he's like you know people are always wondering you know is the effort versus is the effort worth the reward like what you're putting into something the struggle does the payout you know sufficient and he said my and my old man he's he's building the cabin with his old man he said our our mentality is the effort is the reward 
And I think in a case like this, mm, I like that. You know, that is like you're saying when you guys got done with that pack out, that effort was more satisfying than the actual, you know, lining up and shooting this this nice elk. So that's 100 percent true because the story I tell is about the pack out. The last thing I talk about is how big the elk yeah. was. Yeah, and the most hunts first thing. Oh, I got a giant, big old six by six, big old heavy bases. Yeah. Yeah. Scored me two ninety four. You know, no, you're like, oh yeah, the pack out all oh, <laughs> fifty days. Yeah, you bring your story like not like one time we were hunting elk. It's like one time we were packing elk. Yeah, one time we were packing elk. <laughs> yeah, it's not even not even the hunt part. It's just the pack part. That was the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, well, you'll remember forever. Yep. So I'm looking forward to the effort on this trip kind of not really but i'm i'm kind of looking forward <laughs> to you well before steve when you asked if i wanted to put in i said yeah i'll put in if you get packers <laughs> it was like the condition because i was no. like i've done this i don't i did it with two guys i don't i don't need to do it with two guys again i mean i think if it comes easy this time great but you now i got my bow so i figured that'll be the challenge in itself yeah, uh, yeah, it'll be a little bit easier with six of us. Well, quite a bit easier. Yeah, three times easier, right? Well, I don't know. It's it's like an in the moment kind of a thing, you know. We could be all out there a couple of days from now and uh, feeling in our own heads that the suck is just as bad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. definitely, it's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it. It's it hard to measure lessen, someone else's yeah, suck. It won't lessen the suck. <laughs> and yeah, and you can't look at a guy and no. quantify his suck level. It only lessens the suck for me because I'm the only <laughs> one with the memory of the previous suck. Mm-hmm. But it can still suck. So I would be going, oh, this sucks. But this is, man, it really sucked before. This is great. And you guys be like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. But the meat. Oh, the meat. That's one thing I will bring up. This is the best game meat. Those elk are the. It's the best game meat I've ever had in my life. Nice. You're saying it's very good elk. It is. It is like the wagyu beef of elk. Yeah. It is. The just the tenderloin, the inner tenderloin. That's all you packed. Yeah, that was all I packed. <laughs> it sucked, man. It is softball size. It's the size of an elk or a, a beef filet mignon. I mean, you could cut fatty filet mignons out of that tenderloin because the way that they're just compact they're like a they're built like cattle just short and squat and stout and just the muscle every muscle group is just extra large nice yeah that's where all the weight comes from find one now yeah Yeah. now i am looking for it that meat is almost i know i'll say it about a but well, blacktail meat is really good Very here good. as well, and it almost has that same quality as the blacktail meat, where it's almost like it's a marbled fat. It's almost like that when you cut into that steak, you can see the the meat broken down into those yeah. lines. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, no, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Where it's yeah, it's like that tender. Bad, good piece of meat. But it's funny you mentioned blacktails. I always think of like the really, really good meats: um, doll sheep, blacktail, elk, of course, and then uh, select mule deer. Select yeah. mule deer like can early be, season mule deer is can my... just be like when you 
get, and I don't care if it's a big buck or not, but when you start skinning that deer and he's got like an inch and a half of tallow on his rump, it's just good, just good deer, man. You know, I've had some rangy mule deer too, but I mean, select mule deer are extremely good. So now I don't know. I will pick your brain on this because some people say like the blacktails, at least the ones around here, like most deer have that tallow type fat. It's that real waxy fat. Yeah. Yeah. But these blacktails... We used to melt it down and put wax our boots with it. Yeah. Now, these back blacktails have a almost a less tallow and more of, like, a regular fat, like a bear fat. Okay. Like, their fat is, like, bear fat, not, like, deer fat. I got you. This is somehow diet-related. Yeah. I don't... I mean, but it... And it makes the meat... T- it, it almost... Like, we would... We'll... Me and my dad, on the last hunt we had, we shot two bucks, cut off the bacon... And fried that bacon, like deer bacon on the rocks. Is that right? And it's good. Like the fat. Yeah. Good to eat. It, but it's like, it's, I don't even know how you describe it, squishy fat. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't wax up in your mouth real bad. Yeah. It doesn't wax up. It's not waxy on the deer. But people are saying that, or I've heard, you know, the old timer thing around here is that it's a different kind of fat because they need to absorb it faster. Oh. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, know if there's I, any. I'm, I'm open to the yet. idea. I mean, different animals have different kinds of fat and process different ways. Like, like a buffalo in the summer has got like full on orange fat, looks like a carrot. Yeah, you know that's how that when they're eating green, certain green feed, it's like. So I'm open to the idea. There's something about what they're eating that gives their fat a different quality. Yeah. Um, sure. They don't have a bad winter here too either. These critters, which must help them no, in there. I think big... they do. Hmm. Yeah, they generally do have. A, they can have tough winters. You think? I'm Com- just judging from the weather that these, like, the, I was just talking to the pilot about the winter, and, I mean, they're well, rare. Yeah, the no, snow doesn't hang that's around. That's the reason that the fluctuation in, uh, is so different than, like, say, Prince of Wales, is because they have the hard winters. Kills a lot of animals die in the winter here. A thing that I can see about winter. that is that, the, like in Prince William Sound and other areas of Southeast Alaska, the deer, you know, the the high country fills up with snow, but they have such good shelter down in the big old growth forests. And there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of like protection from weather down there. Yeah, they go down to the shorelines in the old growth and can do pretty well. Yeah, and I can not see as much here. That. It's just there's so much more exposure here from not having that those those giant yeah, old growth forests. Yeah, I guess maybe forests. just the exposure. Yeah, because I was just accounting for the snow because they were like, yeah, the snow doesn't really hang around, you know, at sea level especially. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see it being a, like maybe a little bit nastier, nastier yeah, conditions. Cold. And a lot of that stuff, like southern part of Kodiak, is that more open, more like that. A lot of the a lot of it's like this, where it's got it's got. But it doesn't have those giant swaths of old growth. I mean, there are some. I mean, you can see them around. You know, when you're flying over, we saw plenty of We've old yet growth. to see it because it's been fogged in. But if you go over the ridge and down to the water, do you ever hit, like, thicker forest at the water's edge? Or does it stay open like this the whole way? Um, stays scrubby. Stays scrubby. Yeah. Stays scrubby. But, I mean, just on this side, it's all forest. So the north, I guess it would be the north part you it's heavily timber forest, yeah yeah yanni did you do your concluder no dirt did the effort is the reward i like that oh yeah that was, that was good. a good concluder no i didn't really have a concluder yeah no i'll just continue to talk and ask questions oh is there more things you need to know no. about? by all means i'm feeling good 
I'm ready for a house. Yeah, and then uh, we still have like to do. We still need to do our hunt. There's two things we didn't get to talk about. I wanted to do like a status update on public lands, which we're gonna have to talk about next time we talk. And I want to talk about um, why Remy uh, is packing around his bow and arrow this time, and what happened for him. So we're gonna return to those thoughts. Yeah, well, we he's might have pa- more he's time not packing his shooting iron. We might have more time sitting in this teepee. Possibly so we can talk about that. Um, Ridge. Conclude thought. Yeah. I'm blank, man. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Re- Remy, anything you want to add? No. I mean, I hear the rain stopped. I would love to just take this headset off and go glass off a buck right now. Yeah, I didn't even notice. The rain did stop. Yeah, it stopped. The sound quality went back to normal. <laughs> it's good sound quality right now. Uh, here's my concluder. Uh, this is a cliffhanger episode. This is like the episode we did one time when Yanni couldn't get a turkey. <laughs> and I, we did an episode, everybody had all tagged out on Turks, and then I had to get up the next day and go out and get Yanni squared away on a turkey. But we left it hanging where no one really knew if he was going to be able to pull it through. So this is one of those situations where you're going to have to come back to find out, did those fellers really get to experience the suck? Or did they have to go home with no suck? So stay tuned and find out. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.